0: Good morning. No, I don't know if it's uh, me or not, but uh, this morning was the first time I heard lots of laughter. Sort of as we're talking back and sharing things, and boy, does that set a tone. That just sort of lifts our spirits to hear those laughters. So we're going to be continuing through our series on the purpose of the church. And if you want to, you can turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 4. And... Um, I was thinking as I was preparing through this that this was going to be a, a one-week um, sermon on a worthy walk, but I think it's going to drag out a little bit longer, but uh, I'll keep going as long as I have uh, uh, the weeks ahead of me, but I think it's an important thing as we talk about our our walk. We've talked about disciple-making, you know, we've sort of progressed there, we've talked about some things we needed to deal in our life. Maybe forgiveness, receiving, or asking uh, for forgiveness. that sort of cleanses our relationship between us and God. And then from there, we look at the purpose of the church. Or what are we here for? Or what, you know, what is church all about? Is it about me? Is it about you? Or is it about him? You know, And we believe it's about him. And we come to worship him. And so one of the most important things is, uh, making disciples. And we talked about that last week in the Great Commission. And so the question sometimes is, how do we do this? And this last week I was listening, um, I believe it was Jay Vernon McGee. I listened to a couple different uh, messages during the week. But he was talking about a, a man that would uh, go hand out tracts as, uh, as a witness. And we might know some people that do that. I have a dear friend up in Gilman area that that's how he witnesses to people. He hands out tracts. But he handed it to a man and the man said, uh, what is this? And he says, well, this is a tract. And the man said, I can't read. But he said, I'll watch your tracks and I'll follow what you do. And so when we talk about a walk worthy, that's it. When we talk about making disciples, it's one thing to tell people what to do and how to live. It's another thing to show people how to walk and how to live. And the Bible tells us we need to show people. We need to be that example in our lives. So in Ephesians 4, Um, It starts out, therefore the prisoner of the Lord, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling to which you were called. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, the Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. I think I'll I'll break there for a moment as we begin this. Because we live in a society today that that really has, um, doesn't see a whole lot of value uh, in church. Um, It seems like the church is becoming less important, it's becoming less impactful uh, to society. As a matter of fact, I think the last um, stats that I had read is that Only 17% of the people today are active in church. Now it wasn't too long ago, I think back in the, uh, probably in the 50s, it was just about the opposite. About 80% of people participated in church somehow. So we see about one in five people that really maybe think that church or faith is a relevant thing. And and part of that is people sort of have spiritualized everything. They sort of think that they can do it on their own. We're going to go. Uh, you know, worship out in the, the woods, this tree. I had a, a talk with a gentleman in Kadat this last week, and uh, he was actually part of a church that uh, down in Augusta at one time in his life. And Anyways, as he was sharing, he just said, you know, I can go out into my woods and, and I worship God. I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. Well, he's true in that. You don't need to go to church to be a Christian. Coming to church does not make you a Christian. But God has placed the church with a purpose and a reason. And so as we look at these things, Jesus gave this promise that uh, the gates of Hades will not prevail against his church. And so even if it's 1 in 5, even if it's 1 in 10, we know that the church of Christ is going to continue. The question is, is what are we doing? Because he has called us to be a part of this. So what God had intended to be really a dynamic, Um, relationship and fellowship with one another we've seen sort of wander Uh, we've seen sort of weaken and a lot of it is because we've made church about ourselves we no longer come to serve but we come to be served we no longer sometimes even want to um, get involved in things of the body of Christ and one of the things uh, we see is that the church really today has maybe little or no Um, impact on really the way that we live and the decisions that we make. And uh, there was a story of a mom, and uh, you know, as you raise little children, sometimes you go through this. We raised five, and and now I know our kids, as they're raising their kids, they have this, but the mother was going to church and the father wasn't. And that's not an uncommon thing that we would see in the world today. And as she's trying to get her little seven-year-old boy to come to church, he didn't want to go to church. And he told his mom, He says, but dad doesn't go to church. And his dad didn't go to church. But the mom came back and said, but when he was your age, he went to church all the time. And so the little boy said, dad, is that true? Did you go to church all the time when you were a little boy? And he said, yes, I did. And so he agreed with his mom. He says, okay, I'll go to church. But he says, I don't think it's going to do much good for me either. See, we sort of model those things in our life. People follow our example. You know, the statement is, is that I'd rather see a good sermon any day than hear one. And so God has called us to have this walk worthy. Therefore, I beseech you as a prisoner of the Lord to walk worthy of the calling in which you were called. Paul is really begging. He is pleading. He says, he says that when, I, when he says I beseech you, he's really saying I'm pleading with you to walk worthy, to set that example. Perhaps this seven-year-old, that made this statement is really um, a true reflection of how we have come to adopt churches today. That they don't really impact the way that we live and the decisions that we make. How come we have this spiritual condition? What has brought us to this point? Well, first, I think we live in a world full of selfishness. We, We make everything about myself. You know, as a a pastor of uh, nearly 30 years, I've I've dealt with people in all different realms and all different things. And sometimes you'll you'll talk to families and they say, well, you know, I I don't like the style of music. You know, I I like all the traditional. And, you know, you guys do too much of this. And then some will say, you know what, they do too much traditional. And I like the more contemporary. So music sometimes we say, well, there's nothing really for my kids to do there. There's no real children's ministry So really what they're saying is, I want a babysitter for my kids as I come to church. You know, and I've often told these families, if you come with your kids, we'll get other families to come with kids. Somebody needs to start the ball rolling. Somebody needs to be that example. Very few people say, well, because the word of God isn't preached. You know, maybe they'll say the sermons are too long, or maybe they'll say, uh, you know, this or that. I hear that once in a while. But, you know, We come for personal reasons and personal preferences or our feelings get hurt or our friends don't go there. And so we don't really search out that which is truth. We don't search out for that church that is preaching the word of God wholly and fully. And so it just doesn't seem to make much difference in the lives of those who come because we're not coming really expecting even wanting change sometimes in our life. We like to be comfortable where we are at. So the saying sometimes is this, is that uh, we need to get back to what the Bible says about this biblical portrait of the Christian uh, church. But if we keep redefining things in this world, and if we drift away from the, the goal, and I, I'm, I'm trying to think, does this church have like a, a mantra? Is this it? If the sun will set you free, you will be free indeed. Is that the church's? Does the church have a verse? That they do? Yeah. So like down in Augusta, they have one uh, that we have. It says, to know Christ and make him known. And that's just the, the little, I don't know if mantra is the right word, but that's just a little statement. And so everything that Augusta Baptist tries to do is in light of those sayings, to know Christ. okay? We want people to know Christ, and we want to make them known. And so that's the goal in, in everything that we do. And so when we look at a ministry, when we look at our life, what is the purpose of why we do what we do? Why is it that we are? holding kids club is it just to entertain kids is it just to show the community oh we got a bunch of kids coming or is it to train them in the word of god and i would say it's to train them in the word of god we want to teach them the ways of god and so we got to keep that before us at all times so if this is true and and i really believe that it is in order to fix the problem we need to refocus on scriptures we need to refocus on our life We need to allow the Holy Spirit in our life to change us. And listen, the older I get, the harder I think it is for God to change. I gave all those scriptures or all those statistics last week about how young people come to Christ and, you know, that's like, cool, that's great. And if we can get them living that way when they're young, it's a lot easier than when you get my age and all of a sudden you go to somebody and say, but God has something different. He needs your life changed. But if the Holy Spirit is in there, it empowers us to do that. So the purpose of the church is to walk in a a manner worthy of the calling that Christ has for us. And are you walking that way? Do you allow God to make changes in our life? And so there's there's many processes to this. And again, we're very good at saying, you know, the Bible says you should do this. And the Bible says you should do that. And how come you're not doing this? And again, I want us to, to try as a body here to to refocus uh, our thoughts a little bit, that when you read the scripture, don't read it in light of trying to change somebody else. Read it in light in trying to change yourself. I really believe that 90, 95% of the Bible is written from God to me. As I read this, I think it's a message to me that I need to apply in my life, that I need to work in my life. And you know, when it works in my life and when it's applied to my life, and I'm starting to walk in that way, I become that example to those that are around us. I become that example to to the world to say, there's something different because, again, the church was created to be a dynamic relationship with Christ. And I want you to think, when we look at the world today, the churches in the world today, do we see people that have dynamic relationships with Christ? Okay? not just those that say I'm a Christian, not just those that say I go to Maple Grove or I go to Augusta or I go to Faith Free, not those, but do we see people that have a dynamic relationship with Christ that would transform our lives and transform our relationships into what Christ would have us to be? Because that's the important thing. Christ came to change my life, to transform my life. And I can give nobody any advice. I can have no impact on anybody's life uh, in transformation until God has done it in my life myself. When I come up and I I present a message or a sermon, all week I've been dealing with things on myself. So I'm out about four or five weeks right now in, in my thoughts and some of my studies for messages that I think God has me going in an order for. But as I'm going through there, I'm, I'm reading those not to say, well, what, what would be good for the people at Maple Grove here? I first need to let that word penetrate my life and say, God, what are you teaching me through this? And as you teach me things through this, what is it that I can share with those that are around me? And what is it that I can model for those that are around me? And so we have Jesus. So when Peter tells us this, he has left us an example that we should follow in his footsteps. Some people say, well, that's just too tough. Well, it wouldn't be in the Bible if it wasn't true. And we're going to fail at that, okay? I understand that. I'm going to fail at, at following in Jesus' footsteps. But the scripture is still there, that Jesus has given me example that I should follow in his footsteps. And when I falter, that's fine. I repent of those things. I go to him in prayer and I ask him for strength and wisdom. And I read his word, and I start to apply it and walk in those ways again. So he has given us this example. He is the standard. I'm not the standard. The leadership's not the standard. Your neighbor's not the standard. Christ is always the standard. We always want to point people to Jesus. Because when our eyes are fixed on men, men will let you down, or women. If our our idol or our uh, perfect role model is that that is in human flesh, are going to fail. As a father, I have failed. As a husband, I have failed. As a pastor, I have failed. As a friend, I have failed. But Christ never fails. And so when I fail in this life, I always have opportunities. And that's why we talked about forgiveness. That's why we talk about repentance. That's why we talk about reconciliation. That's why we talk as a family of God, that we don't pass those out, but we work and we pray together and we work it out with one another. My wife and I have disagreements, which we do. Any married couple here uh, say that they never have disagreements? I didn't think so. It's sort of universal. It's a universal plague that happens. We have those things, but you work those out. Sometimes it's easy to work out. Sometimes it takes a long time to work out. But we work those things out. We're not going to discard those things. We don't give up on our children, even when they fall short, even when they make bad choices we pray for them and we always give them godly advice and we try to show them the ways that they should go because we want to again reflect this dynamic relationship that we have with Jesus Christ and so once we come to this point of of humility and I think this is where I'm going to focus on uh, most of this morning when we come to this, this point of really realizing that we have no capacity to work our way to heaven okay so so reality tells us this, the reality of scripture tells us this, that there, there's nothing in me that is any good. Okay, Apart from Christ, there is nothing in me. We like, to, we like to look at others and say, well, yeah, they're talented in this and talented in that. That's good, but I'm talking eternally. Eternally, there's nothing really good within us. But when we have Christ in our life, that's our glory. That's the redeemable part of us that God wants to use and so because I think if you know well guess what I'm a good giver and so God's going to recognize that when I get to heaven that I was a good giver or uh, you know I've preached thousands of sermons in my life and so God's going to recognize that and I'll get credit for that when I get to heaven And, and certainly he's going to have to acknowledge that and so I think that I've done something to work my way to heaven there's nothing I can do to work my way to heaven By grace we've been saved, through faith, not of works. See, works follow afterwards. We were created in Christ to do good works. So good works is important. I'm not saying good works aren't important. Our walk is one of those good works. The way that we walk, the way that we talk, the things that we think, all those things, the Bible tells us that we are to take captive in our life. And we become that example to those around us. So I have no capacity to work to heaven. There uh, is nothing that I can do to say, God, you you have to let me in, except accepting his grace. And then I become his trophy of his boundless grace because he has washed me, he has set me free, and he has cleansed me from the inside out. And now he says, I have something for you to do. Yeah, I want you to display the wisdom and the glory of God in your life. Do you display the wisdom and the glory of God in your life. And if you don't, why not? He says, I have called you to have a walk worthy of the calling to which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness and long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. There's the start. Do we have that in our life? Walking in a manning worthy worthy of the calling that he began to describe a lifestyle that we are to reflect. Have you ever met somebody and just talked with them a little bit and said, you know what, I think they're a Christian. They never, they never used the name Jesus or God or they didn't have a, you know, a big cross on their shirt or you know, Christian hymn things on their shirts. But you knew. You knew something was different about them. That is our life. That is how our life is really supposed to be reflective in the world today. And so it says, we walk in a manner worthy of our calling as we maintain the unity of the Spirit and as we do those things right there, the lowliness and gentleness. Lowliness is a submissive spirit, it, it's a spirit that says, I consider others greater than myself. Just opposite of what the world says, right? Uh, the world says we need to be the greatest. You watch sports, I love sports, but you watch sports and I, and I really don't like to listen to the players because. I'm the greatest, I'm the best. I think it started back maybe with Muhammad Ali, that I remember it, you know. Nobody's greater than me, you know. He would say, we got the basketball players, and they're, they're vying for all this money, and this position, and this attention. But God says this. Humble yourselves, and I will exalt you. See, we can exalt ourselves in this world, and if you reach the top in this world, and you die, what good is it? You're still going to be six feet under, Right? when you humble yourself and God raises you up you're going to be seated in the heavenlies with Jesus Christ our Savior so he says with lowliness this is how we treat others this is how we walk in the world we don't walk around saying I'm the best we got the best we deserve this, no, we have that humble and contrite spirit with humbleness, we treat others with humbleness, okay we treat others with a gentleness that means we're not harsh with others. And we'll sort of unfold these in the weeks to come, but we're gentle with those. We handle them delicately. I appreciate that story of Dylan going there in the middle. Some people say, I don't have time for that. He's probably had this. You've probably shared this with him before, haven't you? So it's so easy to just say, you know, we, you know the answers. We've told you that. Get it right, boy, and walk away. But no, the scriptures say with gentleness we take every opportunity we can to be gentle with those caring for them loving them it will say here in just a moment long suffering that means it's not just a quick thing well you know I got 10 minutes for you start and go no long suffering sometimes it's a process it takes years you know my family prayed for me for years You know, because I had all sorts of issues. Still do, just to be honest. My family prays for me. My grandma prayed for me. I didn't come to Christ right away. And even when I did, I sort of thought, you know, this is something I can control. And I couldn't. So we have long suffering with people. Sometimes it's a painful time. And it says bearing with one another. I mean, sharing the load. When we talk about disciple makers, it isn't telling somebody what to do, but it's walking them along that path, along with them, teaching them. We make disciples. We sit with them. We teach them. We go through the scriptures. We answer questions. We give them questions. We grow together. We bear with one another. When somebody's got a problem, sometimes we just sit with them. I've had people that have lost loved ones, and sometimes you don't know what to say. It's been so tragic and so... Uh, horrendous and you just sit with them sometimes we bear one another's burdens is there anything that we can do we have Sharon right now that's going through a, a difficult time and for the Christian community to come together and to share in that burden of just taking some of that 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 burden off of her and showing her that we care and that we love it says um Bearing with one another in love. And again, anything that we do, if it's not done in love, is, is done for the wrong reason. And this is where I trip up all the time, because I get things in my head, and I get thoughts in my head, and, and I get uh, um, things that I think should be done in my head, and I always got to sort of check back to that and say, now is this going to be said in love, is this going to be done in love, or is it something that I want? Is it some point I got approved? Is it some dig that i got to dig into? And so i got to be that example. We need to walk in this manner worthy, worthy of the calling that Christ has put on us. So when we look at this, we say this, is that Christ died for me. He gave his life for me. So the walk that I have, it's not, is it worthy in the world's views? Is it worthy in, in God's views? He gave his life for me. Am I giving my life for him? Am I walking in the way that he would call me to do? And I think next week we're going to talk more about this unity, but in the scripture it's not telling us that we need to produce unity. Sometimes we want to produce unity. We want to make unity happen. It doesn't say that we produce this. What does it tell us? It tells us that we need to maintain the unity because unity is not something that we generate. Unity has already been generated through Christ. We're part of the family of God. And he says we need to maintain what Christ has placed in here and not let that get fashioned out. And so how do we maintain unity? Again, we can apply all these to us with lowliness, with gentleness, having that humble spirit that that God has has called us to have. And all the way through verse 6, it tells us sort of how to maintain this Unity. And so when we talk about a humbleness, and, and again, it's not in the world today. They got magazines out there called like Self. You know, it's all about me. They have songs out there that's all about me. I, I you know, I think I have a, a good friend, uh, Larry, who when we talk about church issues, sometimes he always say, you know, the problem in the church today is we make it all about me. And, and he's got such a good statement as he goes through this. And he'll talk about all the different facets that we have made church about me, about us. You know, about what I want, what I'd like to see, what I want to see done, and how I want it done, and when I want it done. And and, and we've sort of made it a microcosm because it comes down to power and control. It comes down to my thoughts of what should be done. And we have relinquished the authority of Christ within His church and the Holy Spirit within the church to do what the church needs to do, and in order for us to get that right, we need to be humble. We really do. We need to esteem others greater than ourselves, and I think that today I'm, I'm going to just close with a few verses about being humble, because you say, well, I think God has called us to be warriors. Ephesians 6 tells us, put on the armor of God. We're doing battle. Our battle is, is not with, with flesh, but with spirits and principalities and and we're to be bold in our faith, and we're to be, see, we get this all mixed up. Somehow we've equated that if we're humble, or if we're meek, that we can't be bold or strong. And that's not the fact. Some of the the strongest uh, people that I know are humble people. They're quiet people. They're not those that are tooting their own horns all the time. Hebrews 2, 9 tells us this, But we do see him, talking about Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Okay, he's given us an example that we should follow in his footsteps. What was the first thing that they did? He came down a little lower than the angels. God came down. You know, and we think that, you know, we're the, the, the king of the world, right? We can think, we can reason, we can uh, build, we can, you know, do all these things in our, in our life. We think that we're the top of the crop, but the Bible says that, that Jesus lowered himself to be like us. He who was without sin became sin for us. I mean, as God, he is up there, In pureness and holiness and everything that that entails who God is. And I can't even wrap my mind around it. But he was up there. And they looked down and they said, you know what? Man needs a savior. We're going to accomplish this. And so Jesus came down. He humbled himself to become like us. That we might have salvation. That we might have reconciliation to the Father. Matthew 11.29 says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. This is Jesus describing to us some of his characteristics. And learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Our Lord and Savior is humble and gentle in heart, are we. And he says, And you will find rest for your souls. The way we find rest for our souls is to be found in Christ. And the way that we get found in Christ is to humble ourselves and admit that we are sinners, to admit that we have failed, to admit that we can't do it on our own, and we accept that gift that he has given us. Even back in 2 Chronicles, my people who are called by my name, or if my people who are called by my name, first off, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways Then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. I know we pray for our country every week. We should pray for it every day. We need to. But there's something in my head that says, until the church gets it right, until the church humbles themselves, and until the church continually prays and seeks his face and starts living what the word of God says, then we will see change in the world. Until we get Christians that stand on their convictions that will be in those offices and those positions. Everyone that goes in, into the office talks something about God because they got to appease that, that segment of society. But until we get Christians up there that stand strongly and boldly for the word of God, it's not going to change. When we humble ourselves, pray and seek his face and turn from our wicked ways. As believers, we can no longer just be harboring sin in our life and and the the trash of this world. They're, They're not intertwined. God says, come ye out from amongst them. Be transformed, be changed by his spirit and by his blood. 1 Peter 5.5, 5, close yourselves, all of you, he says, with humility towards one another. Do we really esteem others greater than ourselves? That, that doesn't mean that I'm saying you're better than me, but it says esteem, treat others. You know, when you can treat somebody that has nothing, like they're something, it makes a great difference in their life. James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Ephesians 4.2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Psalms 25.9, he leads the humble in what is right and he teaches the humble his way. See, God will only work with the humble spirit. If we have a proud spirit and we think that we are all that it is, we're going to fall short. You know, being a chaplain, I, I, I always enjoy hearing success stories and things of that in prison because when we look at prison, we sometimes think people are just discarded and there's no hope, they've done bad things, they're bound for hell. But when we, when we see the success, success stories, uh, they're great. And I want to close today with one um, about an evangelist. And this evangelist spoke at the Indiana State uh, Prison where only a few weeks prior to them coming, Steve and Judy had been executed by the electric chair. They had the the corporal punishment there. And if you've been in a prison system, and we don't have corporal punishment here, but they do in other states, when you've been in those prisons and and, um, one of those death sentences gets carried out, it it, it goes through the prison. There's a mood that sort of goes through the prison. And it always creates sort of this special type of tension. But anyways, this event, evangelist and his team were there, and they were sharing. And after uh, the message, the warden took them on a tour of the prison, and the last place that they stopped was up in this, this area of, of death row. And uh, they let the men out to uh, visit with these evangelists and talk about different things. And, and as the story goes, they said it was a wonderful thing uh, for those condemned men that were all condemned to death, they, they were singing uh, Amazing Grace uh, with this evangelistic team. But it says as they um, were shaking hands and, and saying their goodbyes, uh, one of them, his name was James Brewer, who was a condemned man, um, walked back into his cell with one of the volunteers. Everyone else filed out, but uh, Mr. Brewer and, and uh, this volunteer were in the cell, and they were shoulder to shoulder, and they were reading the Bible.
1: And so the evangelist
0: told him, he says, you know, it's time to go where our time is at an end. And he says, I just need a, a couple more minutes. And he says, well, we really, we really have to get going. And uh, the volunteer explained, he said, um, please, please. He said, this is very important. He says, you see, I am Judge Clement, and this is a man that I have condemned to death. And he says, now he's a brother in Christ. And he says, I love him. And we're reading the scripture and praying together. When you have that in your life, and, and that, you know, you'd say that's impossible. It's impossible in the world's terms, but it's not impossible in God's world. We can see him do these miraculous things. It, it says that this evangelist stood in the, enter, in the entrance to this solitarily dim lit thing and he he listened to these two pray. These that were on opposite sides of uh, the the spectrum on everything. One One was black, one was white. One had power, one was powerless. One was rich, one was poor. But God brought them together and they prayed and they walked together. It didn't change the outcome. And this, this judge who this inmate should have despised and hated for the sentence of, of life um, that was going to end wasn't there. And this judge who probably should have had fear of this man or uh, whatever towards this inmate who had done this horrendous crime, it was gone. But only in Christ can this happen as they, they lived out a walk that was worthy. They were walking what they believed. They were walking what they were preaching. They were walking what they were professing. Are you walking worthy of the calling that God has for you? Every week I try to give a challenge that if there's someone or something that is in between you and and somebody else, you need to get it worked out. You need to let Christ's ointment in there. We need to set that example in the way that we walk. You know I can spew all sorts of things up here. And if, if, if I'm not walking that. As you watch me in my life. It's not going to mean much to you. I can speak all about love and forgiveness. But if I'm not exercising that towards others. It's not going to happen. If I can tell you to walk in the calling that God has given you. But I'm not walking in the call that God has given me. It's not going to happen. The world sees enough hypocrisy in the world today. What the world needs is genuine Christians that have humbled themselves enough to walk in the newness of life that Christ has given them. To let him transform your life and to make those changes in your life. The greatest compliment I can ever get is when somebody has seen something in my life and they would have said, I can never picture you the way that you are now. Because in my old life, I was, I was not good. It's like seeing a rotten apple, and all of a sudden, here it is. Not too bad. And that's the door to open to say, you know, it is Christ that makes the change in our life. What is our purpose as a church? That's the challenge to the congregation. To walk worthy of the calling that he has in you, and so goes our membership, so goes the church. So it starts with you. It starts with me. Are you up to that challenge? Let's pray. Father, we thank you again, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have empowered us with your Holy Spirit. We we don't need to depend on our own strength. We just need to depend on our willingness to say, Lord, here I am. If you want to use me, Lord, here I am. And we could be brutally honest, Lord. I, I I don't know how I'll do it. I don't know if I can do it. But here I am, Lord. And when the Lord sees that heart, his spirit comes in. And we're reminded of Philippians, where it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If he has called us to it, he will see us through it. But we need to be willing. And we need to be humble. And we need to give up ourselves that he might reign in our lives. So Father, my challenge for each one here this week, this day, is to really be challenged by these scriptures today. To ask ourselves those questions in the mirror. Am I an example to those whose eyes are upon me? Am I living in such a way that brings glory to you? In the way that I walk, in the way that I talk, And even in our thoughts. The Lord many times cleanses us from even those evil thoughts when we turn to him. Satan wants to attack us. Satan wants to whisper the lies. He wants to tear us down. But Christ has come to build us up. And so when we humble ourselves, it says he will exhort us. So we thank you, Lord, for that promise. We ask your blessing as we leave this place. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen.